A24 has quickly become the best studio in independent cinema. Let's rank their top 50 movies. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. Today, we are doing a very special ranking episode on the excellent, fantastic, inventive production company, A24. Everybody loves A24 now. They are a brand that is synonymous with great filmmaking, interesting stories, and creativity on a free scale. I love A24 and how they're able to just give a filmmaker money to create their vision however they see fit. They seem to not be involved in trying to nitpick filmmakers and producers and writers. And I think what they do is really special and very rare nowadays in film. And very important. We can only imagine what independent cinema in America would look like without a studio like A24 getting so much in the culture and zeitgeist and becoming so relevant for independent film and movies that are made for small budgets because... Who knows, maybe none of these stories would have gotten told and independent cinema might be non-existent at this point. So for us, studios like A24 and Blumhouse, they're really, really important to movies. Neon too. Neon, yeah. yeah. Important to cinema in, in Hollywood, especially and around the world. Now, we're going to rank their top 50 movies in our opinion. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to start from 50 and go all the way up to number one. But first, I would love to give a little history on the studio A24, if that's cool with you. Let's hear it, Jim. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So A24 Film Distribution <laughs> Company based in New York City was launched by Daniel Katz, David Fenkel, and John Hodges in August 2012. Its first film, A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III, was released on February 8th, 2013. That's a Charlie Sheen movie. <laughs> I can't believe that's their first movie. It's pretty wild. Wow. The company gained recognition with their North American release of Spring Breakers in 2013. It later became widely known for distributing and producing critically acclaimed films such as The Spectacular Now in 2013, Ex Machina in 2014, Room in 2015, Moonlight, which was a Best Picture winner, in 2016, Lady Bird, Hereditary, Uncut Gems, Minari, Come On, Come On, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Additionally, A24 has worked with several high-profile filmmakers such as Ari Oster, Sean Baker, Noah Baumbach, Sofia Coppola, The Daniels, Claire Denis, Robert Eggers, Alex Garland, Greta Gerwig, Joanna Hogg, Barry Jenkins, Yorgos Lanthimos, Sam Levinson, David Lowry, Kelly Richard, The Safdie Brothers, Lulu Wang, and Ty West. The company changed its name to A24 in 2016 and entered co-distribution deals with Apple TV+. DirecTV Cinema, and Showtime Networks, and formerly Amazon Prime. A24 earned its first Academy Award for Best Picture for Moonlight in 2017, and then again recently for Everything Everywhere All at Once in 2023, which became the studio's highest-grossing film with the latter's countless accolades combined with one, of, with one for another A24's The Whale, 
A24 became the first studio to win all six major categories of the Academy Awards in a single year, as well as the most awarded film of all time. Because, again, The Whale won Best Actor, Mm -hmm. and that was the only award. So A24 got them all. Got them all. Got them all. So that's a little background on A24. They also produced a few TV shows, The Carmichael Show, Euphoria, Irma Vep, which is the Lisa Vikander TV show, and then Rami. So... What's interesting, though, is they had a very modest start. Obviously, you said it's A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan the Third was their first film, and then Harmony, Harmony Kareen's Spring Breakers was another film that came out the, that year. They were only coming out with uh, two or three films a year. They had very slow beginnings, but then as they got traction, they started being able to produce more films and give budgets to filmmakers until now they are the full-blown production and distribution house that they are today but that wasn't always the case and also they had a couple of stumbles on the way to their unparalleled success nowadays like there's a movie like called laggies um that was about like teenage assassins with hailey steinfield and someone else and it's just not a very good movie and then also uh there's a nicholas holt and Kristen stewart film um a sci-fi dystopian film that just didn't quite work um, so they had some a bumpy road at first, but they've now gotten to this point where the brand is so reliable that you know when you're going into an A24 film that it's going to be something really good and also something very special. And you can't say that about any other film studio right now. It, it's just you, no one can compete with the the quality. And also, I've seen people call A24 more of like curators, but that's not the case. They're not like picking amongst movies they're actually funding movies and giving the producers and filmmakers behind these films the money to make their visions happen so they're not just curating like a museum gallery they're actually producing and funding these projects and they're not always hits they don't always make a ton of money of course they have bangers like everything everywhere all at once hereditary but even a movie like the green knight which they put 35 million dollars into did not make its money back so they do have some box office failures under their belt but that doesn't mean that their movies that even if they fail the box office aren't tremendous movies because they still are and fortunately they have they make enough movies every year now that make enough money to stay profitable and they're still going and i know they've turned down offers from apple tv to be purchased for like a million dollars and i hope they never get purchased yeah and they, the brand has become a very cool thing. It's cool. It's hip. It's like people aren't wearing Warner Brothers hats or, you know what I mean? Unless you're on vacation and you're yeah, at yeah. Warner Brothers Studios. Yeah. <laughs> but like their merch and their gear is like very cool and hip. And there's just like, I like how their logo changes with the theme of every movie. They just have the cool factor that no other movie studio has. I can't think of another studio that has any kind of cool factor, let alone being so pre- present in the zeitgeist of, of modern culture like A24. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, Disney doesn't count because it was already a brand before. But I mean, like, I, would, I wouldn't say Disney's cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just Disney. Yeah, a lot of people think Disney's cool, okay? No, I think, like, their movies are are great, but, like, in terms of, like, like A24 is, like, the fun. It's like, hey, I'm <laughs> A24. Yeah, I'm the coolest. <laughs> it's a pretty cool brand. It is cool, yeah. It's pretty lit. It's like great. people like just love the brand as much as like more than the movies in a lot of the ways. It's great. <laughs> it's pretty clever. And you know, I think they've nailed it in terms of marking themselves really well. Now like, this ranking was really difficult to do. I mean Especially when we got <laughs> to the top like twenty. I mean, even all fifty of these movies are really fantastic. And then the top twenty five is just absurd. 
And then the top ten is ridiculous. And then the top five is <laughs> ridiculously Unbelievable. absurd. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but it was a hard thing to rank uh, because I love all these movies. And uh, you have to kind of like kill your darlings in a way by ranking some lower than others. We're going to piss some people off, I'm sure. I know. Some people are going to get pissed off. But just keep in mind that, you know, if something's not quite as high as you hoped it would be, that doesn't mean we don't think it's good. It's just... This is a hard fucking list to make. They're all great. Yeah. Every, every movie on this list is great. But I think we did a good job based upon both of our tastes and how we both feel about all of the movies. Um, I think, like, we can get going, though, if you want to start it off with number 50. Yeah, number 50, we have A Most Violent Year, which I thought was a pretty solid thriller. And, you know, the stars Oscar Isaac as well as Jessica Chastain. It almost didn't make our top 50. I think it's just a pretty solid movie, but yeah. you know, I think it's pretty aptly rated at it's, it's so well acted. Yeah. And it just it was almost great. It was almost it almost, was there. almost there. Lots of it running. Was, <laughs> lots of Oscar Isaac jogging down the street. Yeah. Um but I think just having the pairing of Isaac and Chastain together is just a recipe for just on screen magic. And uh he's a, he's a good director. He's making Craven right now. Although I, ju- I would just say his films they just kind of lack too much substance in stakes and in, in, in plot for them to really work completely for the audience. Yes. So, but I think that Craven could be a, a big step up for him. But this was a movie that's very good, but just just didn't quite make it happen. Next up, we have Tusk. Ugh, gross. <laughs> Kevin Smith's movie. It's a really terrific horror film. It's fucked up. It's funny. It's surprising. It's shocking. It's outlandish. It does a lot of the things you want a horror movie to do, and it's very memorable. I hope they don't make a sequel because it's great on its own and stands alone, stands amongst the genre of horror uh, in its own way, which is really cool how it sets itself apart. Like being, it's like there's nothing like Tusk. Uh, plus, doing the body horror with the dark comedy worked really well. Uh, terrific performances, and then the Johnny Depp role is just bonkers but it's a really really good horror movie number 48 we have the spectacular now directed by james Ponsdot. now this was a huge movie for what who started Ponsdot? what did i say Pons. It's ponsult right ponsult sorry <laughs> ponsult sorry james he's unsubscribed <laughs> the spectacular now was a huge hit hit for miles teller and shailene woodley very very important movie for a24 yeah in 2013 yeah. it was a hit but like a great like high school story but for them too mm-hmm. they just blew up after this because miles obviously now is a superstar shailene woodley became the next you know kind of katniss everdeen taking on a huge young adult fiction franchise divergent divergence so i mean it was massive were you stalling to figure out the name to remember the name of, <laughs> of divergence shailene woodley was cast in a great horror a great movie kind of like hunger games i was about giving dystopia i was teens. giving great and it's really good context <laughs> and exposition to my favorite young adult novel series divergence divergence divergent divergent t <laughs> what's the other one called it's a different name i thought it was divergence no it's not divergence are you gonna google it no i'm not googling he's it he's googling it it's divergent <laughs> it was making sure it was a hard t it's a great movie. It's very, uh, it's heartbreaking. It's tragic. It's about young love, and that can be messy sometimes. Really well done, well acted. Uh, two extremely talented actors breaking out. I, I really enjoyed this movie when it came out. Next up, we have Come On, Come On, which starred Joaquin Phoenix and came out last year. 
He plays a man who is on a little road trip with his nephew, and they film a little documentary series interviewing young people about the world. It's a great blend of documentation blended with narrative storytelling. Very sweet. Uh, He's not a father, but he's testing the bounds of fatherhood, and he's someone who could probably be a good father but maybe chooses not to. And I really love this side of Joaquin. It's a tender side to him. Uh, a, a fun, light side to him, something like her. We saw that a lot uh, of how he doesn't always have to be these wild, dark roles. He actually has a, a lot of goodness that he can project as a performer as well, and this is a great example of it. It's a very heartwarming movie. It's a good point. I think that's why he loves doing movies like her in this because we get to see the other side of him mm-hmm. because he is a tremendous actor with immense range. Moving on to number 46, we have First Reformed. Which Man, is, we have this at 46. Yeah. It's a very divisive, divisive film. Yeah, it's I love it. Love or hate it. And I think, you know, a lot of Paul Schrader movies are like that. He wrote and directed yeah. this movie starring Ethan Hawke, who plays this priest who is basically grappling with despair and the tragedy of his past. And it's very philosophical, surreal some incredible visuals and very trippy sequences. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's solid. I'm not a a massive fan of it. The first time I saw it, I was just, you know, I thought, I thought it was a little slow for me, but that's kind of his style. Like if you watch, what was the most recent one he did? Card counter. Card counter. That one I did not, I did not like, I did not like the card (laughs) counter to be honest, but I like this one a lot more than the card counter, but I think it's solid. And I thought it was a really incredible performance by Ethan Hawke. Yeah, it's one of his best, and I really liked the cinematography as well. I liked the slow build, and I loved—I really loved everything about it leading up to its shocking conclusion. And there's a really crazy surrealist sequence in this movie that's just like, what the fuck is happening? It's a really terrific film. Never seen anything like it before. I really enjoyed the film. Next up, we have The Souvenir Part 2, which is the sequel to Joanna Hogg's first film in the series, The Souvenir. She's an amazing filmmaker. She's made a bunch of movies before these two, but both The Souvenir and Souvenir Part 2 are really fantastic. It's about a young film student who's getting over the tragic death of her partner, who and this, the, the events of that took place in The Souvenir Part 1, and this is the aftermath. She's trying to find her footing in the world. She's trying to find her place as a filmmaker and artist while still gre- grieving. It's a really uh, intimate, incredible portrait of love and grief and an artistry really amazing film also tilda swinton co-stars in the film and her daughter is actually the lead oh that's really amazing yeah. i didn't know that next up at number 44 we have mississippi grind starring ryan reynolds and ben mendelson written and directed by anna Bowden and ryan fleck it's tough to make a great uh poker movie and i think that you know because rounders is perfect the, per- the, per- yeah. the, po- the poker movie that's the best one it's tough to kind of pull off a, a good one, I think, these days. And it's just a t- hard genre to tackle uh, cinematically and with a story. But I think Mississippi Grind nails it. This is, movie is a lot of fun. It's got everything you love about gambling, about poker, and kind of about that lifestyle. And I think Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn are just lightning together. Yeah, they're great. Um, and it's cool to see Reynolds in a small movie every once in a while. You know what I mean? Because he, uh, he, he, he suits the indie world really well. You wouldn't think it, but he's he's really suited, to, and this character is terrific, and Ben Mendelsohn is an amazing actor. We've been huge fans of his since Animal Kingdom. Next up, we have, speaking of Ben Mendelsohn, we have an Australian drama, The Rover, starring Arpats, Battinson, and Guy Pearce in the David Michaud drama. 
this is a really cool dystopian film set up amongst the uh, now the like ravaged landscape of Australia. Wonderful movie, and also it was the first movie uh, post Twilight that I saw Pattinson in a movie, and I was like, that guy can act. And then since I saw the Rover, I've I, I was just full tilt on him being a great actor, and I, I I watched every movie he was in after that. I only saw the first Twilight movie, but when I saw the Rover, I was like, this guy's got it. And then I be, then I became of Robert Pattinson because of this movie, a fan of Robert Pattinson because of this movie. I was a fan of Cedric since day one. <laughs> You didn't Come even on. know who he was. I'm just, kidding. I'm just kidding. It was just Cedric. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Cedric Diggory. But yeah, this movie's awesome. Highly recommend checking it out if you've never seen it, especially if you love dystopian or post-apocalyptic movies. It's right up your alley. Number 42, we have Lean on Pete, oh, directed by Andrew Hay. You know, I love a good story or movie about friendship between like an animal Animals and a person. and horses. This one's about a horse. Someone, uh, This teenager starts to work on a horse ranch and befriends this you know, fading older racehorse. It's it's really beautiful story, and, and I love that connection. It's a great coming of age film, and not many people have seen it. And it's actually a recent release. It was it came out five years ago, I think. It's a really good movie. I think a lot of people would love it, but for some, in a lot of ways, the coming of age drama has kind of faded in Hollywood. Well, they've put it into just they all superhero super, stuff. Yeah, now, so know? it's kind of like in a way not ex- non-existent and i think that's kind of sad because this is an example of you know the coming of age dramas that we grew up watching you know what i mean and it's like so, the best genre ever when yeah you're a kid. exactly so I, th- I hope more movies like this get made and if you haven't seen lean on pete it's a really tender incredible drama uh, of a young boy trying to fit in with the world and and makes this connection with this animal it's great next up we have marcel the shell the shoes on a cute wonderful Tragic, but also a heartwarming movie. Uh, very fun, very creative. Uh, I saw this. T- we saw this twice in theaters, and I loved it just as much the second time. It's a really, really charming movie. It might be the most charming movie on this list. It might have been the yeah. funniest movie last year as yeah, well. It was hysterical. hysterical. Yeah, Jinx. Jinx. You owe me a Coke. I <laughs> <laughs> love Marcel. So damn fun. Number 40, we have... The Disaster Artist. Oh, hi, Mark. Which is a terrific movie. Based, I, did, I did not. Did not hit her. Oh, hi, doggy. <laughs> it's about the making of The Room, which is considered the worst movie of all time. If you've never seen The Room, I highly recommend checking it out. It would be a great double feature to pair with The Disaster Artist afterwards. I highly recommend doing them both at the same afterwards. But at the, the same time. <laughs> at the same time. Directed by James Franco. He stars as Tommy Wiseau as well. His brother Dave Franco is in as well with... Seth Rogen, and it's just so damn funny and one of those stranger-than-fiction stories about this guy, Tommy Wiseau. No one knows who he is, where he's from, where he gets his money. This guy's just independently wealthy and finances a ridiculously over-budgeted independent film that looks like was written with one script and never rewritten in it's so funny. He also filmed on digital and film at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> two camera systems. It, it's just one of those situations where there's like, you can't write this kind of funny and you can't write these kinds of situations. And it's it's a blast. It's hysterical. I, I definitely recommend watching The Room first and then watching this. It, you will definitely be rewarded. I did not. Did not hit her. You're tearing me apart. The unnecessary nudity in <laughs> so many ass is so funny. So many ass shots. Next up at number 39, we have Under the Silver Lake, which is a great murder mystery starring Andrew Garfield. Great dark comedy. This is made by 
David Robert Mitchell who made It Follows. That's what I was trying to think of it. Uh, great horror movie. And then he'd switch things up with this completely different genre and tone. Interesting movie. Doesn't always work, but when it does work, it's fantastic. And it also has some shocking moments as well. Andrew Garfield is terrific. And also, for people who live in L.A., this is a really awesome L.A. movie. Yeah, and those wondering, It Follows is not an A24 film. That it is, is not. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have a pretty fun and unique movie called Free Fire at number 38, starring Shelto Copley, Brie Larson, Army Hammer, Killian Murphy. Just an absolutely stacked cast, and it's about these two gangs in Boston in the 1970s where this deal goes wrong, and they're all inside this warehouse. Everyone's got a gun, and it's kind of basically like a cat-and-mouse game of survival. It's it's really funny. It's it's not incredible. It has moments, and it could have been, I think, a superb film. The concept was there. I just think the execution, like the third act, kind of lost it, but I think it's a pretty good time. And it was made by Ben Wheatley, who's this great UK director. He's made some awesome movies, but I really enjoyed Free Fire. It's a lot of fun. It's It's got great comedy and great gore. And it's just like all these great actors just like have tiny roles all over. The, I was like, what? Free Larson, Army Hammer. I mean, can, can we even talk about him? <laughs> Anthony's canceled. Anthony said it, not, not He's James. He's a good actor. <laughs> He's a good actor. I'm just saying, stating a fact. But it's, the movie's a lot of fun. Anyways, moving on to X. <laughs> no. <laughs> moving on, Anthony. X was an excellent horror movie. See what I did there? I saw. <laughs> the Year of Ty West. <laughs> the Year of Ty West. <laughs> never, never isn't funny. It was shocking. The kills were brutal. The gore was awesome. The cast was stacked. This is the first time I'd seen a couple of these young actors before, most notably Jenna Ortega. Wait, no, I, Scream came out before this. Yeah, yeah, Scream, Scream came five. out. Yeah, that's right. And Mia Goth, who I've been a fan of since Nymphomaniac, seeing her in a lead role, I was like, finally. She's also great in Emma that came out the same year. But this movie's phenomenal. I love it. Number 36, we have Uncut Gems from the Safdie Brothers. Just here, they're not going to direct their next film together, actually. Is it Josh going yeah, to do it by Josh going to do solo. Well, Ben's acting like crazy. Yeah, and he probably doesn't have time. And, I mean, he's got a knack for, for he is, Did acting. you see him in Oppenheimer in the new trailer? I haven't watched oh, the new trailer. Oh, he has dialogue in the, in the I trailer. I have not watched the new trailer. He's got a Russian or Polish or a Russian accent, and it's fucking spot on. It's, it sounds he's great. He's playing a scientist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Everyone man. in that movie's playing a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> but Uncut Gems is incredible. We did an episode on Uncut Gems in Good Time, I think, earlier this year, which was a blast. This one starring Adam Sandler is just awesome you know the safety brothers working with a bigger budget i can't believe uncut gems at 36 that's what's crazy about h24 man and i love the movie it's hilarious it's great uh adrenaline rush and can't say nothing but good things about it and it's a good guy guy. (laughs) yeah let's move on (laughs) (laughs) next up we have one that made me cry like a baby my god at number 35, we have The Farewell, directed by, written and directed by Lulu Wang, based on a true-life story about her family. And this stars Aquafina as a character named Billy who goes to China to visit her family because her grandmother has a, uh, a terrible illness and doesn't have much to, longer left to live, but she's not aware of it. And her family is keeping the secret from her because they don't want to give her the bad news. And so... They're kind. The whole family's getting together to do this, like, basically visit of their of the grandmother of the matriarch, without telling her that she's dying of an illness, and it's just a really fascinating 
dynamic that I've never seen in a movie before. It's deeply tragic and so powerful. And Aquafina, I'd never seen her like this before, and she really did a terrific job with the drama in this film. Um, I was crying like a baby watching this movie. It's really fantastic. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Next up at number 34, we have The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which was directed by Joe Talbot, starring Jimmy Fails, Jonathan Majors, Danny Glover as well. And this was like one of those little mini indie hits. Very small budget. I believe it was like less than half a million dollars. Less than, yeah, less than half a million dollars budget. Pulled in like five million box office. So just one of those sleepers. Great movie about, you know, these characters and this character who feels like his his home is kind of passing him by in this city that he doesn't really recognize anymore because it's changing so quickly and kind of leaving him behind, basically. Yeah, it's a very relevant movie, especially in the Bay Area from what I've heard and read about that uh, gentrification out there and you know it's tough to it's a tough place to live now in terms of the cost of living and it's really changed the entire landscape of who lives in the city and this is a depiction of that yeah when you're getting a 14 dollar croissant you know it's <laughs> between that and portland it's like damn how, who can afford this la's coming in close too. Yeah, la is pretty close yeah <laughs> next up we have an amazing science fiction horror film called high life Directed by the great French filmmaker Claire Denis, starring Juliette Binoche and Pattinson. <laughs> Binoche and Denis have made, I think, like eight or nine movies together uh, over the past couple of decades. Really amazing collaboration. If you haven't seen any of them, check them out. They often depict uh, social and injustices and things like that. Just very relevant, timely movies. This one, it's so cool. It's one of the most bizarre and interesting science fiction movies I've seen in the last several years. There's a lot of really cool ideas that Denny plays around with in this film. Pattinson is excellent. Binoche is uh, excellent as well. Uh, there's uh, Mia Goth's in this too. Mia Goth is in this as well. Uh, just terrific science fiction film. Never seen anything like it before. Disturbing, but also just so intriguing and fascinating. I highly recommend checking it out. There's also just a fucking wild scene. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of you remember us talking about it often because we would bring up before the Batman came out, so many people were questioning Robert Pattinson's acting and talent How and dare they? whether he could pull it off. And we were just like, if you haven't seen The Rover or After, I mean, or High Life, <laughs> get on that ASAP. He's like, great in After Sun. Yeah, sorry, because that's next on the list. <laughs> number 32. Of spoilers. <laughs> number 32, we have After Sun. We actually just did a, a Godfather Patreon bonus episode on it for Cameron, which was super fun. After Sun, directed by Charlotte Wells, just came out last year. Oscar nomination for Paul Miskell for Best Lead Actor. Really terrific, terrific movie that is fictionally based, but is this told through the story and lens of Charlotte Wells' memories and interactions in in um, past with her father before his passing. It's a really meditative, personal film, and I think it's really special. One of the best films of the year last year, and I think she's going to have a great career, and this was a, a terrific debut. Well said, well said. Next up, we have a movie that couldn't be more different from After Sun. We have Spring Breakers <laughs> from the wild filmmaker Harmony Kareen with an excellent cast. This movie is just absolutely wild. I remember seeing it just being blown away, and I really loved it. It's it's really in a league of its own. It's kind of just like all over the place in all the best ways possible, and there's really nothing like it. It's insane. It's vulgar. It's hilarious. It's well shot. He likes to shoot on film. Uh, surprisingly beautiful cinematography at times. 
And then James Franco is just absurd in this movie as a, this crazy character down in Florida. I, I really love the movie. It was huge for A24. Yeah. It really got them in the culture and the zeitgeist with pop culture having such huge stars in it. Not just Franco, but like Vanessa Hudgens, Selena Gomez, just people who mm. are just very well known with young they're like very, Gen Z and millennials. <laughs> they're very well known. No, with the youth, I mean, like <laughs> the youngins. They love them. They love Selena Gomez. I do too. Hit me up, please. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Selena Gomez is gonna hit you up, Jim. Gonna shoot my shots, man. <laughs> she's shoot a fan my... of the show. I heard. Oh yeah, she, she's. I was guessing because there's a patron that's called S Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> Two dollar patron. Moving on to <laughs> number thirty, we have the whale from Darren Aronofsky. This was an Academy Award winner for Brendan Fraser and Best Lead Actor this past Oscars. I thought it was a really terrific film. And I love movies that take place in one room or one environment. And it's really difficult to do as a storyteller and filmmaker. But I think Aronofsky is a genius. And I thought it was a really special performance from Brendan Fraser. And, and Hong and Chow. Hong Chow. Yeah. And I, I thought it was terrific, heartbreaking. I, was, I weeped for about five or six minutes during the third act of this movie. It destroyed me. And I loved it. Same, man. I was crying. Like, crying my ass off. Next up. We have Swiss Army Man, the first film from the Daniels, which came out several years ago. I watched it. I remember I just walked into it liking the trailer, and because Radcliffe and Paul Dano were in it, I didn't know who the Daniels were, and I didn't know like I was. I didn't know what to expect, but I. It was just so funny, uh, so emotional, had a lot of heart, and just one of the, the wildest movies I've ever seen in my life. And I recommended it to you, and you ended up loving it too. It's a fucking absurd movie. Uh, but it's really, really sensational. It's hard to even like define it, uh, but there's also like a lot of great surrealism in there as well. Paul Dano and Radcliffe are fantastic together. This movie is just... Even though it's really just Paul Dano yeah. act, <laughs> acting with a corpse of Daniel Radcliffe, who is in every scene pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, but it's just really a lot of fun and just highly entertaining. I loved it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Never look at Radcliffe the same, and I appreciate him so much for his performance in it. Next up, at number 28, we have an Icelandic film called Lamb, starring Numi Rapace. She helped get this going, and she's you know producing movies coming out of Iceland now, and it's really exciting to see different storytellers from this region because this movie was fucking awesome. It's not really well-liked. It's 6.3 on IMDb. I thought it was incredible. It blew me away. It was gorgeously shot. Cinematography is incredible. Acting is great. And it's just the trippiest, weirdest movie ever. And not giving anything away because it's in the trailer, but it's about this couple that find this child that has a lamb for a head in a human body. It's half, it's half lamb, half human. It's like, what the fuck is going on? But it's... It's, it's actually it's actually very deep and has a lot to say about how humans treat animals and how humans treat the environment. And it's well done. It's not like in your face like spoon feeding like you're bad. Like it was just really artistically done with nuance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't feel like I was being like told like a like patronized like a like a parent to a child like waving a finger at my hand. It was like it was done in such a, a great and meaningful way. I found it to be so powerful and extraordinary. Fucking crazy third act, too. Amazing you know ending. some crazy stuff was about to go down, yeah, and yeah. when it hits... That whole movie is just a slow build. I, I loved it. I really adored it. It was in my top five of 2021. I wanted it to get, like, Oscar love. That's how much I liked it. Me Plus, too. gorgeously filmed, and the music is really amazing. Like, I, I love the score. I listen to that a lot, actually. 
Next up, man, at number 27, we have Room, which is a highly loved movie starring Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay. Wait, no. Yeah, Jacob yeah. Tremblay. Thank you. He was I so saw him recently. He's he, so little in this. I saw him recently. He's in The Little Mermaid. He plays, I think, the, the, fish. the fish. Yeah. Kid's like 17. I'm like, yeah. holy crap, this well, kid grew up. Well, Room was years ago. Room yeah. was 2015. That's wild. Eight years ago. He was a, he was tiny in this. It's like eight years holy ago, Holy crap, man. I got him on IMDb. Damn, this kid's adult now. That's so weird. I can only picture him as a little kid. You I know. know what I mean? Same. But uh, Brie Larson deservedly won an Oscar for this film. It was directed by Lenny Abramson. It was a big hit, critically and commercially. Not a massive hit, but very, very well performing based on its budget. I found it to be really ingenious, uh, a brilliant plot, terrific stakes and conflict. And I thought it was just really smart how Abramson approached the film, where it's not, he didn't show them being captured and then put into that room. We, we start the film... They've already been there for years. And I thought that was the best way to start the movie. We didn't need to see how they got there. What's important is that they're there. And then how are they going to get out? So I thought it was the approach to the film, the minimalist nature, and choosing nuance over plot is what made it work. Movie fucked me up, man. Yeah. Movie fucked me up. Crazy. It's got an 8.1 on IMDb. It's an awesome movie. Yeah. Blew my hair back. It's like a, it's it's such a traumatic movie going experience for an audience member that mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since the first time I saw it, but I still <laughs> can picture like every scene of it. Moving on to we'll do one more, then we'll take our intermission because we're at number twenty five seven twenty six twenty six number twenty six. We have Locke starring Tom Hardy in a car. That's the movie, and the whole performance is him either talking to himself or on the phone, and it's shockingly good. And relatable, and he's basically his whole life, his whole existence that he's carefully planned and curated, and the successful guy, it's all crumbling in this car on this ride. It's incredible. It's in the way he filmed and wrote this story of taking place just in the front seat of a car was just unbelievable. And what's really interesting is the rest, there's five other people in the cast who Locke speaks to on his cell phone. He actually, they actually filmed it in real time, those scenes. So Andrew Scott's an actor in the film, he talks on the phone. The five other people, Olivia Coleman, Olivia Coleman, a lot of great actors. And what they did was they had all the rest of the cast. They were in a, they were basically in a conference room, and they all had a phone. They each had their own phone, and they would actually call or receive calls from Tom Hardy, who was really in the car at the time driving, and they would play out the scenes like that, like in real time. So it's not like Tom Hardy is playing off of nothing. He was actually acting for real on the phone opposite the other actors. So Stephen and I, I think, wisely chose to make the acting as realistic as possible. Let's actually record it for real happening rather than, you know, having like a line reader on set read the lines opposite Tom Hardy. Like they actually did it for real, which I think makes a big difference. I'm pulling the photos of it right now because Tom Holland's in this movie too. It's, oh, he's it's the son, I think. Yeah, and there's yeah. a shot of him. He's just uh-huh. in a conference room. Like you said, he's got a huge microphone, like a giant boom in his face. And he's got headphones on. Yeah. Talking to Tom Hardy on the phone. <laughs> it's really, it makes sense. I mean, that's the way you want to do it. So, and kudos to Tom Hardy for doing so much with his face, with his body posture, with his voice, with his eyes. Uh, it's it's really an impressive performance, without a doubt. Well, now it's time to head on into our mi- intermission. But before we continue, the very best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast, besides leaving us those five-star reviews on Apple and Spotify, 
is becoming a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. It is super affordable. We have tiers starting at $2 to $5, $10, $25, and $100. Every tier has different perks, and every patron has access to two weekly bonus episodes. You get the weekly chat, which is exclusively on Patreon right now. Every week, still every Wednesday, Patreon releases our weekly chat. And then we also have a bonus episode of the show that every patron has access to no matter what tier you're in. Going up to $10, you get access to our Discord. Then $25, you get your own custom episode. You pick a topic, we do it for you. And then $100 tier, that is the ultimate chosen one tier. You get so many great perks like free merch as well as you get to come on the show after three months. And then also get your own private watch party. So thank you so much to everyone who is a patron of our show. It supports us immensely and allows us to do it full time. This episode is sponsored by our great friends at MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Be sure to head over to their website and use our promo code Raiders10. Again, that's Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show in their poster library, as well as all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting. They have these new backlit frames where you get a huge poster and put it on this light frame and then you just turn the switch on and your poster glows from behind. It's really fantastic, just like in a movie theater. They have those at MoviePosters.com as well as so many other accessories and posters. Be sure to use our promo code there, Raiders10, to get your 10% discount today. Now let's head into our intermission, Anthony. Oh, yeah. And begin with the movie quotes competition. You ready? Ready. Oh, God. I wish you'd been there. It was a machine. It was a machine, but it was alive. It was like a, like a dance of light. Please, you have to trust me. Can you say it again? Oh, God. I wish you'd been there. It was a machine. It was a machine, but it was alive. It was like a, like a dance of light. Please, you have to trust me. Contact? No. No. The Abyss. Oh, nice. Nice. Good one. Jimmy Cameron. Good old Jimbo. We'll also be sponsoring the James Cameron section at our new local theater called Vidius. Yeah, they have uh, their video rental store. They're going to have a James Cameron section, and it's going to say on a plaque, brought to you, brought to you by Raiders of Lost Podcast. So cool. it's going to be sick. Here's my quote. Rule number one, never change the deal. Never change the deal? Say it again. Rule number one. Never change the deal. I'm trying to do a British accent. <laughs> that sounds Irish. Or Scottish. Close, um, enough. Close enough. Never change the deal. And also, rule number one, man. You gotta get... It's important. Rule number one. So it's a guy who has a list of rules. I figured. Um, Did you? Oh! This is Jason Statham in... Snatch? The Transporter. The Transporter. You were so close. I know. I know. You were so close. So, so oh, you get, yeah, you're right. So you got you got Jason Statham for my performance? Yeah. I, tr- I tried my Statham voice. Yeah, yeah. But then the rule thing, like, that was like, oh, actually, that's clicking with Statham somehow. Mm-hmm. You're right, the Transporter. Never, like, never change the deal. Never look in the package. Never look in the package. Yeah. Pa- yeah, never look in the package. <laughs> that movie's fucking sick. <laughs> they should just make another one. They fucking. should. But like with a real budget. Yeah. And like I mean, a great director. Not? That'd be so cool. Why not? All right. Guess this movie release here, Anthony. 
Okay, bring James. Bring it on. Bring it on. 19... No, wait. 2001. 2000. Guess this movie release here. The Transporter. <laughs> 2000. What year is this? 2002? Yeah. Nice. Nice. Good I remember job. Dad took us to see that. We thought it was oh, so yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. It, it was cool. It was cool as fuck. Yeah, it's a cool movie. All right, movie, what's, your, what's your question? Movie pop quiz time. Okay. So you just going to sit there all day or what? 2013, Margot Robbie starred in two films that were released, The Wolf of Wall Street and what else? <laughs> what's it called? Um, it's the Rachel McAdams, Donald Gleason time travel movie. What's the movie called? Begin again? Well, it's about time. About time. About time. I knew the movie. I just didn't know the yeah, name. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. Nice. About time. Nice. Well, I didn't get it right. Well, you close enough. I'll give that to you. Thanks, man. She played <laughs> She played the fr- the family friend that he has a crush on who sucks at tennis. Yeah, no one asked. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> <Looking> nerd. <laughs> we get it. You've seen everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what famous director wrote the Transporter series? They didn't direct the movies, but a very famous director wrote three movies. Really? Yep. Oh. Very famous director. Very, how famous? Extremely famous. Michael Bay. No. Um, <laughs> who wrote the Transporter? I'll get it's internationally famous, so maybe so not, not American. American. Maybe, maybe not. But the world, like internationally, knows him. Him or her very well. <laughs> Whoever they are. Transport. I don't know, man. Luke Basson uh, wrote all of the Transporter movies. No fucking way. Yeah. Isn't that funny? That I makes never, sense, yeah. actually. Yeah, it does make sense. All right, what's all your right. streaming recommendation? My streaming recommendation is a movie on Max. I just don't like Max, man. It sounds like it. weird. It does sound weird. It sounds like... I don't know, Max... Sounds like, I don't know. I'm not a fan. Don't like it. Bottle Rocket, Wes Anderson's film. It's first movie, and it's really terrific. It's on Max right now, and just to get you hyped up for Asteroid City, I recommend checking it out if you've never seen it before. Great recommendation. Mm-hmm. I also have a Max recommendation, although I made the recommendation in my notes before it changed from HBO Max, so it actually still says on HBO Max in my document. So <laughs> on Max, Office Space is available. You gotta check it out. If you haven't seen it, it is an all-time comedy. Hell yeah! You know what I'd do if I had a million dollars? Two chicks at the same, same time. time. <laughs> 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 well, you can do that without a million dollars. Yeah, but it'd be a lot easier if I had a million dollars. <laughs> has anyone ever said to you, "Sounds like somebody has a case of the Mondays"? No. <laughs> Shit, no. I believe you get your ass kicked if they say like that. <laughs> I knew you'd get it, and you didn't disappoint. <laughs> All right, lead us off with number 25 from our H24 Whoa, whoa, whoa. List. We got some haters, man. Oh, oh sorry. We got some unsubscribers. Oh, yeah, and we have a new five-star review. So, hold on. Back to the intermission, my yeah, bad. Yeah, take it easy, man. We got to go on the... Listen, you know what it is? I went for a run today, so I'm a little spacey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... <clears throat> John Page wrote in our Evil Dead Rise episode, I was listening on Apple Podcasts and switched over to YouTube just to comment, Mommy's with the maggots now. Unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Holler, 28, on our Dark Knight for memory. After listening 
All this time, I still can't believe you don't call your haters Raider haters unsubscribed. Raider, Raider haters. I love it. I like Raider haters. <laughs> Raider haters. I think that's hilarious. It's fantastic. Wow, incredible stuff. <laughs> it's so funny. Do you have any more Raider haters? We got some more Raider haters. I like it. It's got a good... It's got a good... Do we have real Raider haters? Um, yeah, we do have a real one. Ooh. Do you want to hear, hear the real one? Yeah. Do the real Raider hater. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I did this hater last week, the empathy one. Oh. Yeah, we did that one last week. So no real haters. However, I still have some more unsubscribes. All right, hold on, hold on, one, one second, one second, one second. Sorry. Okay. Reese Pooley wrote on the Dark Knight episode, my favorite part of this episode is when they don't talk for eight and a half minutes while they look for the script of the movie to do the worst rendition of all time. <laughs> Unsubscribe. As when we were looking for the online script of the scene. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> it took us like three minutes to find it. And you didn't like our impressions. <laughs> they were just kidding. Unsubscribe. Kevin McRae wrote, don't want people to suffer on Squid Games. Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the Squid Games reality TV show. <laughs> the Kid Jor wrote, 100 episodes? Unsubscribed! <laughs> Movie news, baby. Not So Slim Shady wrote on the Children of Men episode. Oh, this isn't an unsubscribed. It's not an unsubscribed. I just screenshot it because I wanted to remember it, but I'll say it anyways. Speaking of the raid, you guys ought to do a Top Martial Arts Movies episode. So, yeah, this is, it was just a reminder. You said martial like you're British. Like, Top Martial Arts. Martial, because of, of my Statham impression. Yeah, martial yeah. Arts. <laughs> Losing it. <laughs> I can't do the British accent with that voice. Martial arts. Martial arts. It's not like you can do a British accent. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay, accent king over here. I never said I was the accent king. I just said you can't do a British Anyways, <clears throat> Brandon Bish wrote, I never usually go get to watch it on YouTube, but I just subscribe to the channel, and I want to watch the Dark Knight from Memory episode just for the impressions. Thanks, pal. Lord Huff wrote, Talk about catastrophic. I just found out... You are both straight white men? Unsubscribed! <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. And then... <laughs> all right. That's it. All right. That's all of them. We got a great five-star review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes from OHLR Music. Amazing film podcast. If you are looking for a movie and TV show review podcast, I highly recommend this one for you. These two guys are clearly passionate about movies and love what they do. They are so entertaining and informative with their reviews. This is a great podcast and one of my new favorites. Aw, uh, thanks, pal. Thank you so much, OHLR Music. We appreciate it so much for leaving that five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. You can still leave a five-star review on Spotify, We're almost at too. 2,000. Getting close, man. Locking it in. Now let's get, now back, get back into our top 50 A24 movies. And Anthony's going to take us off with number 25. Wow, 25. There's still, I mean, there's so many movies that before, after this, I mean, before this, I don't know, whatever. There's 24, Anyways, man. <laughs> at 25, we have Minari, which is a really terrific uh, coming-of-age family film. A24 came out with in 2020, I believe. 2020. I'm surprised it didn't win Best Picture over Nomadland, honestly. It's a really terrific, heartwarming, also kind of tragic story. About the American dream and how it's not always so easy in this uh, South Korean family moves to the American Midwest to start over, to start anew, to build a life. And it's not as easy or as simple as they were hoping for. And they go through a series of trials and tribulations and hardships on their way to trying to make some semblance of a, 
a decent life for themselves. It's a deeply moving, incredibly filmed, perfectly acted film. I love the movie. Check out Minari if you haven't seen her already. Next up, we have The Green Knight, directed by David Lowry. This movie, I think, is overhated and misunderstood. It's yeah. a 6.6 on IMDb. Like, Damn. that is shockingly low. Damn! It is an exceptional film, in my opinion. The production design, wardrobe props, acting is phenomenal. So unique. I love this period piece. It's tremendous. Dave Patel. I mean, Dev Patel is... <laughs> sorry. Dev Patel. Because <laughs> that's David Lowry... Dev Patel. <laughs> Canceled! <laughs> Dave Patel! It's awesome! That killed me! <laughs> Good as Gawain. And it was a really special movie for, for us because it was the first like big movie, or first movie we saw first theatrical experience. post lockdowns. Yeah. And we saw it with a packed crowd, and it was a really incredible cinematic experience to have. And I, I thought it was great. Obviously, Barry Kilgan's in this as Joel well. Joel Edgerton, Alicia Vikander. Great, great yeah. cast. And I just don't understand why people don't like it. I think it's so good. <laughs> it's, uh, one of my, it's one of my personal favorites out of the I saw a, a reg, uh, regular comment about it, calling it pretentious all, all over the place. It's often called pretentious. Sorry oh. you don't like metaphors. Sorry you have a small brain. Whoa. <laughs> Haters. Haters. Raider hater. Raider hater. <laughs> I love it. Raider hater. Next up, at number 23... We have Gaspar Noe's Climax, which is an absolute bonkers, fucked up, mindfuck of a movie. Uh, it's made up of uh, cool sequences, a couple of really great long-take wonders, amazing dance choreography, and one of the wildest stories you've ever seen. It's about a group of dancers who are celebrating uh, the, finish up, the finishing up of their uh, building up to their upcoming performance. They're ready to go the next night. And while they're having a nice little after party, somebody spikes the punch with LSD and they all have a terrible trip and it is absolutely insane. I highly recommend checking it out. It is fantastic. Next up at number 22, we have a Denis Villeneuve film. Now, Denis in 2013-2014-ish, he came out with two movies that were separated by just like six months. Obviously, Prisoners in 2013, but also Enemy, which is an A24 film starring Jake Gyllenhaal. It is an incredible, I guess you could say, uh, doppelganger film. Yeah. And it's very mysterious and dark and clever. And I think it's just terrific. I love Jake in this role. This was like an, a role for me with Jake Gyllenhaal where I was like, whoa, this guy is actually blowing my mind with his acting because Donnie Darko was great. So you great. hated him before? Well, I didn't hate him. It's you just thought like, he was a I shitty didn't, actor? I didn't realize how great of a star he was like mm -hmm. in terms of star because mm -hmm. Prince of Persia I did not love. Mm -hmm. And Interesting. This was him going back to like his indie roots I feel like. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Big time. So I thought that it was a really important movie for him. I know. I'm just, I'm and just then, kidding. <laughs> this and Prisoners back to back. What, what a what a great couple of movies from Denis as well. That's a good point. His collaborations with Villeneuve were really important for his career, yeah. I think. That's what I was trying to say, man. Yeah. Well, you're basically saying he was a shitty actor before <laughs> Enemy. You kidding me? I love Donnie Darko, man. He's great in that. But, you know, Enemy is awesome. If you've never seen it, definitely recommend checking it out. Great put. Great, great, great put. <laughs> well put. Well put. Next up at number 21, The Year of Ty West Continues with <laughs> Burl. Uh, one of my favorite horror movies of the last several years. Mia Goth is sensational. The filmmaking, music, production design, costuming, it is fantastic. The kills are amazing. 
It's so interesting. There are a couple scenes in this movie of things I've never seen before in my life. He's uh, he's really pushing the boundaries with the narrative in this film and really built upon X in a really terrific and profound way. I love Pearl. If you haven't seen it, add it to your list. I have not seen the next film, so can you do it? Number next 20. Film, close. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. It's so, uh, so powerful. It's a French film that came out this past year in the spring. Uh, it's about it's it's about two boys, childhood best friends, and then one of them, and then when they go when they go to school, other kids begin thinking that they're a couple because they're so close, and nothing's really hinted at. I mean, it's all hinted at, and nothing's really put specifically or really said on the surface, but it's all subtext. And the lead character, that boy. He becomes very insecure and defensive that people think he's in a, in a relationship with his friend. And so he ostracizes his friend, pushes him away, um, and that leads to horrible consequences. It's a powerful, tragic, really incredible film. I loved it. If you haven't seen it, watch Close. It's not in theaters anymore. I saw it in February. It had an unlimited run. Uh, it's available now on streaming for rental only. But... I couldn't recommend it enough. Definitely watch close. Next up, we have The Souvenir. Uh, earlier in the list, we had The Souvenir Part 2. These were written and directed by Joanna Hogg, and this is basically uh, a loose adaptation of like her real-life experiences in film school. It's not undifferent from After Sun. Yeah. It's, um, so it's about a, a young woman in film school who begins a relationship with uh, an older man, not super, not older, older man, but like a, a guy who's, he's like a businessman. Um, he's very confident. He's very suave. He seems to have his life in, in order. And then she slowly begins to learn that it was kind of all uh, a disguise and the veil is lifted and he's a very troubled man. He has a lot of issues and most notably he has a terrible drug addiction and that brings them both down. And it's a tragic, powerful movie. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's a really fantastic film. Uh, definitely check out both movies. They're very different in their own right, uh, but tell essentially two parts of one story. Uh, this movie floored me when I saw it, and I couldn't recommend it enough. Next up at number 18, we're, man, we're cruising. Cruising! We have Andrea Arnold's fantastic film, American Honey. This is uh, kind of like a road trip movie. Uh, it's really cool. I love Andrea Arnold. She's a minimalist filmmaker, and she likes to film very much in the style of the Dardenne brothers, who I love from Belgium. Handheld, um, not much production, and trying to capture real life. And her films, like their films, often depict people in lower class, people who are struggling to get by, people who don't really have much. And this is an example of a girl who's caught up within this group of people who are kind of like traveling salespeople in a way. And she gets in that crew, but social dynamics are complicated, and life's complicated. And this is a really incredible film. I love it. Next up at number 17, we have another David Lowry film, A Ghost Story. I think this is a really special movie. I've never seen anything quite like it before. And the majority of the film consists of putting a white sheet on Casey Affleck, and he's actually under that sheet for every scene that he's in, which is really interesting. When he's under the sheet, and it's about the loss a couple, and he's in a relationship with a character played by Rooney Mara, and his character passes away, and it's basically about the exploration of the afterlife, you could say, in 
a practical sense of something as simple as a ghost with a sheet covered on top of them. And that's what represents a ghost or your soul in the afterlife as you're kind of wandering. Not ready to move on. Yeah, 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 basically. And you're just wandering around the world and waiting, kind of following your loved ones. And he's basically just not stalking, but like around, just like kind of how you think a ghost would be around. (laughs) Like, But time is... Time is different. It's it's more of kind of like experiencing it's, time yeah, at yeah. every period of all this at once. location yeah. of the past, present, and the future. And I think there are really terrific sequences exploring different time periods in the same location. How this was like once a the land that they live on was once where settlers were, and then with horse-drawn carriages and a farm, and now it's their home. And then in the future, it turns into a massive, huge city. So it's actually really interesting the way they explore time in the afterlife and and what what is what it would it be like to be a ghost and how you don't want to move on and, and looking at the past and trying to leave hints and clues for your loved ones to find, to realize that they're still there watching you and it, can you interact with them on their field versus your dimension it, it's really incredible and I think a lot of people make fun of it because specifically there's a scene with Rooney Mara eating pie for seven minutes. But I love that scene. I think it's it's tragic, and that I was crying during that sequence. But I've seen a lot of people make fun of that movie because of that. I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> but it deals with trauma on both sides of of what happens to the person who loses someone they love, but also what's it like for that person that they've gone. What it's like when they're gone in, yeah, in a different. Yeah in a different world in the, in the afterlife. Yeah. I thought it was really fantastic, wonderful film. And, uh, remarkable cinematography and music as well. I, I love that movie. It's so interesting. Next up, we have one of the better horror movies of the last 10 years, Green Room, with an excellent cast. Imogen Poots, the... Anton, Anton Yelchin, Yelchin, who has passed away. Jinx. The, I meant to say the late Anton oh, Yelchin. Oh, sorry. Uh, and then Patrick Stewart, as well as another great, uh, a bunch of other great actors, but they're the main, the main, th- main three. The dude from Peaky Blinders who plays one of the brothers, yeah, the bro- right? Yeah, the brothers in this. It's a really perfect horror movie, and the, the stakes and conflict. It's just, it's very t- few times do movies work as well as this. I think Green Room is really an underrated and underappreciated movie, just in general, not just in the horror genre. But it's about a band. It's about a punk band who reluctantly go play at a. Uh, it's not what do you, they're not Nazis, but what do you call them? Kind of like a white neo Nazis, neo Nazis, neo Nazi club. They don't want to, but they need the money. They're kind of desperate. They're on like this little van tour. Yeah, so they they play this show and they end up just uh, cussing out the entire crowd of neo Nazis just as an fu. And then they go back to the green room and get ready to pack up. But then a murder happens and they end up getting trapped there because they're witnesses to the murder. And then eventually they learn that uh, the group want to, the group's trying to kill them and eliminate all witnesses of that murder. And so they're stuck in the green room and they have to try and find some way out alive. And it's incredible stakes. And I just think this movie is fucking perfect. Like an absolute pitch perfect horror movie. I like it a lot. Yeah, as well. if you haven't seen it's it, awesome. put this on the top of your list. It's yeah. really fantastic. Blew my mind. Yeah, this is one of those movies that you're like, dude, you gotta watch this ASAP. And when I did, I was just floored. It's awesome. Next up, we have the Florida Project, written and directed by Sean Baker, 
Which I, has, I'm sorry, I can't believe that, that this list is so dense. Florida Project and Green Room are 15 and 16. It's crazy. This is crazy. And the Florida Project is a really loved movie, which I yeah. love seeing. You know, independent film, and this is also starring Willem Dafoe. And it's about this young girl growing up basically in a motel with her mom, this rebellious mom who doesn't really have a job, and they're just kind of getting by as best as they can. And this caretaker of this hotel is kind of acting as sort of a father figure for this young precocious girl who's just getting up into, you know, mischief and mayhem kind of and just on adventures every day on, you know, summer break, basically getting into experiences. And it's really touching and moving. And I think it's shot so well. And the aesthetic is incredible. I love the color schemes and the palettes. And I think it's just one of those special indie hits that I really appreciate so many people loving. And Sean Baker often likes to use real people in his movies. Obviously, there's some actors, but a lot of the people in scenes are real people. And a lot of them were actually people living in motels. This is a depiction of like real communities who people are impoverished. And the only way they can survive and even afford rent is by living in motels. And motel owners will give them a good rate because they're just longstanding tenants, you know? And so they live in these hotel rooms in a, at a reduced price, but they're not real homes. And essentially, that's the theme of the movie of, like, you know, they, these people, they don't even have an actual home, uh, a real place of their own. And it's very tragic, but really incredible film. Oh, and also Bria Vinate, who plays the mother, uh, Hallie, she wasn't an actor before this. Yes, that's yeah. right, yeah. And she, they just... They cast her because obviously she's, ta she's talented, but she wasn't an actor. That's one of the reasons mm -hmm. why. Well, his first movie was not completely non-actors. Um, Tangerine. <clears throat> Next up, at number 14, we have Yorgos Lanthimos's The Lobster. The fucking lobster guy. We it's love about lobsters. <laughs> <laughs> we love Yorgos. I think this movie is absolutely genius. It's so funny. It's so spot on. And it has amazing things to say about our culture and about social dynamics and relationships and dating. But in this really bizarre um, way, his movies are always, the ones he's written, he always has this really incredible way of storytelling where it's like, the whole movie is like magic surrealism in a way. And I, I adored this movie. The cast is amazing. Um, I think everybody who likes our show has seen this movie. If you haven't, watch it ASAP. It's, the concept is great. Yeah, there's nothing like it. Nothing it's like it. It's about this weird near-future dystopian world where there's a law where you, if you're single and you're not married and you, they, you get put in like this hotel with other singles. A and courtship you, hotel. And if you can't get married by, by the age 45, you get turned into an animal. Like, what? Well, when you get to, when you put in the hotel, you have to get married. You have to get... You have to find a mate within 30 days. Oh, I'm sorry. 45 and, days. Yeah, yeah. If that's what it is, 45 days. Because there's a lot of young people in that movie. Yeah, have you right. even seen The Flopster? No. Never have. <laughs> Next up, we have <laughs> The Lighthouse. Olivia's favorite movie. Writer-director, Robert Eggers. And this is one of our favorite horror movies, The Century. One of our favorite episodes we ever done was the modern horror episode, and we, and we put this in like the top five, I think. In oh yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, the lighthouse is really interesting. Never seen anything like it. What an incredible script, incredible dialogue, and just career performances from Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, and it's just intense and so beautifully shot and filmed with old cameras and old lenses and old film in the location. Very just, old film. Just, you're just in like one spot. Yeah. yeah. You're just in one location. <laughs> you're just lo I, I, it's tough to make a horror movie or just a movie in one location, but like a lot of great directors can really pull it off. And 
It's interesting. It's hysterical. It's so dark. Takes intense twists. And you kind of lose yourself as you're watching it in a lot of ways. Tell me you're fond of me lobster. <laughs> I'm sick of your farts. <laughs> I'm sick of your farts. <laughs> you like me lobster, though. Tell me you're fond of me lobster. <laughs> Fucking love it. I don't know why, but he didn't get nominated, uh, Defoe. I think it's one of the best like active performances of the last 20 years, He's honestly. He's so good in it. He's fucking unbelievable like very few actors just like dive deeply completely into a role like that and holy crap i thought he was like an old sailor from 1910 plus like the long monologues he delivers with the pipe in his mouth yeah. everything's like precise it doesn't seem like it but it's very precise to the everything about the performance the physicality um but i just found myself so impressed with how he was positioning the pipe in his mouth every time he was speaking and um, my God, like he just fucking destroyed every moment on screen. I, I'm, I'm so shocked that the lack of, uh, awards recognition he got, I don't know why I really don't know. Anyways, awards voters can be weird sometimes. They don't like weird movies. Yeah. Next up, we have another weird movie. <laughs> Ari Aster's Midsummer, which is one of the best horror movies of the last 10 years. Hands down. Amazing depiction of daytime horror which i love uh florence Pugh's big breakout um james rayner's jack rayner's really good in it as well i adore this film i love the music i love the cinematography ari aster is one of the best uh working directors of his generation it's a, a, a standout in a24's filmography and just in the genre of horror without a doubt next up at number 11 we have the safety brothers debut Good time, which it's not again, their debut. it's not their debut. What was their first movie? It was a small indie, very, very small. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. It's their second debut, Good Time. <laughs> again, we did an episode on Good Time and Uncut Gems several months ago, but I think Good Time is a better film. I think it just works cinematically more effectively for telling the story. Agreed. And I love Robert Pattinson in this role. It's really interesting, it's fast, in your face. Really unique storytelling from these uh, American New York City-based directors. They're very European in their style. We've talked about in that episode how they're huge fans of the Dardenne brothers like we are. And they're influenced heavily in this movie. But I, I just think they, they're incredibly confident directors together. I'm really interested to see what Josh just does by himself with their next film. But clearly, Ben is a great actor. I mean, he opens this movie up. They open the movie up with him close up crying tear dropping like within a minute so it's incredible it pulls you in but it's a race against time the craziest stuff happens in it i, I freaking love this movie it's got one of my favorite first acts of of the last several years the, this the first 30 minutes of this movie is fucking brilliant like absolutely brilliant the twists and turns and the surprises it's just terrific i i love the movie next up we're in the top 10 now this is heavy duty stuff under the skin at number 10 Starring Scarlett Johansson, she plays an alien who is in disguise on Earth, capturing humans so that they can be turned into food for her alien race. It is a staggering achievement in sci-fi horror. It's one of the best scores I've heard in a long time. Scarlett Joe is phenomenal. In this movie... It's so hard to pin down. There's a blend of realism with um, a little bit of surrealism, but then also 
they also use some real people in the film as well, non-actors. The tone of this is just tonally, it's so special. It's deep, it's meditative, it's dark, it's stylish. Um, it really is visually stunning and genius, but also it has one of the most disturbing and most horrific scenes I've ever seen in a movie ever. And it's a, it's a scene that I still like, when I think about it, it gives me just like, ugh, makes me shiver with fear. Um, it's just, I can't, it's, it's amazing. Um, Jonathan Glazer is an absolute genius filmmaker. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Next up, we have The Tragedy of Macbeth, which was directed by just Joel Cohen, starring Denzel Washington in the lead role of Macbeth, who is a Scottish lord convinced by a trio of witches that he will be the next king of Scotland and he will do nefarious things to become the next king of Scotland. Also starring Francis McDormand. Incredible film. Production design is absolutely absurd. You know, I, I think the Coen brothers are such special filmmakers and it was really cool to see Joel just do a movie by himself and just hear see his artistic voice in a movie. And I think this movie was one of my favorites of the year. When it came out back in, this was 2021. Because remember, we had Raiders of Lost Oscars and won yeah, a couple yeah. of awards. This movie was so cool. Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. I it's, love it. It's not easy to watch, though. It's Shakespearean dialogue. So strap in, drink some coffee. But if you pay attention, you'll get what's going on. It's a fucking visual. <laughs> it was a visual feast for the yeah. eyes, man. It's the most, it's the most visualing stu visually stunning film A24 has ever made. It's up there. I think like the Green Knight is up there as well for that. I think everything. I don't think anything has. I don't think any of the movies have anything on Tragedy of Macbeth. Honestly, visually, it's fucking incredible. Yeah, plus black and white. It's, yeah. it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's remarkable. Next up, we have one of my favorite movies of the last decade, and one of the best movies on this list, Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade, which is an incredible coming of age story about this girl who's trying to fit in. Trying to fit in on social media, trying to fit in on YouTube, trying to fit in in school. It's so funny, so creative, and so relatable, so intimate, and it's 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 also very very sad at times. And my God, what a great performance from this young actress! I, her name escapes me right now, but I fucking I love this movie so much. It's just so fucking awesome. And I was shocked, Bo Burnham making a a, a touching coming of age, of age drama. I was I was I, w I didn't know what to expect walking into this movie, and then I watched it, and I was like, "Oh my god, this movie's so good!" For some reason, it didn't get any awards recognition, for, and for some reason, it hasn't gotten much love um, from film communities. Just a little bit. It doesn't really get talked about that much. I never see anything about it on social media, on film groups, on nothing. Um, I'm not sure why, but I just I think this movie's really special. Um, it's it's really a phenomenal film. It, it is without a doubt. It's it really is one of my favorite American movies of the last ten years. It's Elsie way up Fisher. there. Fisher. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's, That's the actress, Elsie Fisher. I agree. Moving on to number seven, one of my favorite movies of the last several years, specifically in the sci-fi genre, Ex Machina, written and directed by Alex Garland. I think like this is one of those movies that in 50 years people are going to be talking about it like almost like a Blade Runner level film because of how relevant it is right now. This movie was made in yeah. 2014 
And it's more relevant than ever, especially with the growth of AI in our world and how it's just becoming in the face of everybody and in the public and everyone's becoming aware of it and it's becoming aware. And I think, you know, that's a lot about what that movie's about. It's about Ex Machina is about this genius Google search, I mean, uh, um, website builder and designer tech genius all around cool dude. <laughs> who um, <laughs> is testing his new product basically out on an engineer from his company. And the product is potentially artificial intelligence with the Turing test. Turing, but he's yeah. using the, the guy played by Donald Gleason to do a Turing test on to verify if it's actually achieved intelligence and self-awareness. And I think there are so many things to say about so many great metaphors hidden inside of it, whether visuals or dialogue or situations. And it's got such a great third act. You know, I, I think it's just a perfect movie from beginning to end. And, you know, I, I think a lot of sci-fi movies for me, it's the third act either makes or breaks them. And you can lose people easily around that time, depending on the concept if it's a high concept movie. But I think he really pulls it off for this movie. I think it's his best movie. And I think it's really special. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think that, like I said, in like 50 years, people are still going to be talking about Ex Machina. Absolutely. It's fucking awesome. Next up, at number six, we have another Yorgos Lanthimos film, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, starring Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, and Barry Keoghan. I remember seeing this film because I was a big fan of Dogtooth, his earlier film. And I was like, this movie is insane. It's... I remember the first time you showed me Dogtooth. I yeah. was like, what the fuck is this? I still think Dogtooth is his best film. I didn't know people made movies like that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, not an A24 movie, so it's not on the list. Um, Killing a Sacred Deer is really miraculous, and it's really nothing like it. It's a horror movie. It's a psychological thriller. It's a hilarious dark comedy. It's a bizarre, strange film. Um, but what I really love about the film is how he puts myth into the movie, where you, you know he 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 perfectly inserts like this, um, almost like horrific mythology into. Um, at first, the first hour was like a, a more of a traditional kind of movie. Then you're like, wait a second, there's something else going on here, and there seems to be something, uh, s some other forces at work here, and then the movie just really takes a turn, and you're like, oh my god. Um, but there's something really cool about Yorgos's tone. I like to call him a dark Wes Anderson in tone, where dialogue and acting is portrayed in a way that's like not quite the standard for whether it be realism or authentic acting. It's more kind of like dry um, dialogue, dry acting. It's really hard to describe but it has a Wes Anderson feeling but more of it's like a dark and mature version um, and Killing of a Sacred Deer is fantastic Barry Keoghan is unbelievable it's the first thing I ever saw him in and he absolutely floored me and then when I found out he was Irish I was like what this kid's accent's insane in this movie uh, it's it's really sensational film I, I really adore it yeah like in Yorgos movies things like curses can be real yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's such a good movie uh, I can't recommend it enough. He he plays a this kid whose father gets who dies during surgery. Colin Farrell's character is a heart surgeon who operate on him, and it basically curses him. It's fucking awesome, incredible movie. I'm sure y'all seen it. Moving on to number five, Big Guns now, top five. At number five, we have Everything Everywhere All at Once, winner of seven Academy Awards. 
I mean, y'all know how good this freaking movie is from the the Daniels and the recognition and acclaim and hype that it built the last year is absurd. You know, it was their most successful film, one of their most their most critically acclaimed film, the most awarded film they've ever made, and deserved all the recognition it got. And, and it's a tremendous movie. Only four left. Next up at number four, we have Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird, which I find to be absolutely delightful, wonderful, so well written, so well acted. Um, I love Saoirse Ronan. She's always been one of my favorite actors, and she really broke out in a huge way with Lady Bird. And I found Greta Gerwig to be a really great new voice in filmmaking with her first film here as a director. She's She had been re- writing screenplays for movies uh, for years before this. And acting for yeah. a while, too. Oh, she's an actor? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but I love Lady Bird. Uh, I think it's a, a perfect coming-of-age film. I think that Saoirse Ronan delivers uh, one of the best performances of, of like the last decade. And, I mean, there's not much more can be said that hasn't already been said about this movie. It is so famous and loved for all the right reasons. And I I love Greta Gerwig as a writer and director. Number three, we have another horror movie from Robert Eggers. We have The Witch starring Anya Taylor-Joy. This came out. All the way back in 2014. 15, wow. Whew, it's been a while. This is a divisive film. 6.9 on IMDb. What, it's under 7? Not a lot of people like it. It's it's you know, it's a slow slow drag. I mean, it's 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 a slow building tension film in which a lot of great horror movies are. And I think it's exceptional. It's so well written and so well directed. The execution's phenomenal. Anya Taylor-Joy just like blew the hell up after this movie. Yeah. And also with Split as well. But I think this movie is tremendous. It's terrifying. Great ending. It's so dark and evil and twisted and, and messed up. And I freaking love The Witch, man. It's so well made. It's got one of the best endings of the decade, man. Oh, oh my God. It's so good. Man, I can't believe it's under a seven. Too, What's man. it on Letterboxd? So let me see real quick. Let me see. I thought that this would be like a no-brainer for a top five. I don't know, man. A lot of... A lot of trippy horror movies. People don't. They're not really. Might into because it. of the. Might be because of the old speak. You think? Maybe. Three point nine. So it's a pretty good letterbox rating. Rotten Tomatoes. It's ninety percent critic score and then sixty percent audience score. It's yeah. Almost, it's almost rotten on audience score. Wow. General audiences don't like the movie. One percent at all. I think it's a fabulous film. It's so stylish. So well crafted. Production design. He he was a former production designer, hence why it's so good in his movies. Cinematography is outstanding. Um, Anya's amazing uh, lead in the film, but then the rest of the cast is really, really terrific. Um, the editing's really sensational, and the music is great. There's so many great... Every element of the movie works phenomenally. Um, it's it's in one of the better horror films of the century, I would say, without a doubt. Like, that's easy easy to pick. But I would say maybe it's because of the old-speak dialogue that people don't like it. Yeah. Also, I, I love Salem Witch ideas, like... To set a movie during that era, I think is really, really cool. Not that it was cool, but I'm just saying. So, so interesting. You, so, if you were lived in the 17th century, you'd, you'd try to burn people alive, try to burn witches. That's not what I said. That's what you're saying. Awkward. He's a witch. Burn him. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have another horror movie. At number two, we have Ari Aster's Hereditary, starring Tony Collette, Alex Wolf, uh, Gabriel Byrne. And uh, a cast of excellent other actors. 
this movie, I mean, we all talk about it. Everybody knows Hereditary is an amazing movie. Really one of the most important films in A24's history because of its critical and financial success. Ari Aster cemented himself out of nowhere as being a preeminent director of horror and just filmmaking in general now. Uh, I love Hereditary. I remember seeing it in theaters very clearly and having an absolute blast, and I found it to be an absolutely sensational horror film. Yeah, this movie probably paid for a lot of the movies on this list to get made. Definitely. <laughs> it was very. It was their number one successful movie before Everything Everywhere All, all yeah, Once so Decimated. Yeah, so for eight years, it was its number one. For a while, one. it was huge. Such a such a big hit, and freaking love this movie. Ter- it's the most scared I've been in movie theaters in, in decades, and man, it was it was awesome. It was an awesome theater experience. Ari, you changed things forever. forever. <laughs> Y'all know how much we love Hereditary, and I'm sure you all do too. Now, what it's could number one be? Time for our I number wonder. one ranked mo- <laughs> A24 movie. <laughs> you just spoiled it. No, no, no. <laughs> no, wait. What was the movie that got called instead at the Oscars? La La Land. La La, La Land. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Moonlight. Way is... to ruin your joke. <laughs> I couldn't remember the movie. Moonlight is our number one A24 film. I think this is kind of a no-brainer for us. It was their first best picture before everything. And it's just a phenomenal film. Masterpiece in filmmaking from Barry Jenkins. I've never really seen a movie done so well telling the story of someone's life in three chapters like this. You know, we have... Uh, the version of the character in his youth, then his adolescence, teenage years, and then what he's grown into. And, and they're all connected, and they all stem and root from his childhood, basically. And, and the person he's become is a result of everything that's happened to him in his past and his youth. Just like most of us in how our experiences in our in our past shape who we are. And I think it's so well acted and so well written. It's very meditative. It's very patient and exploratory and and i i freaking love it it's beautiful it's gorgeous the uh, movie that comes to mind is jobs okay yeah uh, da- danny boyle's film so yeah uh, that's totally three, three chapters three pre-events yeah uh similarly structured although in this in that film it's three moments and in this film uh, uh the third chapter it's generally it's kind of like one long scene but then the other two chapters the first two chapters there there are multiple scenes in each chapter yeah, but there's not a lot of passage of time yeah in the mind. exactly yeah for sure um this movie is um i remember i saw this by myself at the los feliz theater in in la and man when the credits were rolling i was just sitting there just like awestruck and just like frozen i, I had never seen anything like it before i had never heard of barry jenkins before um, it was just a, 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 like an otherworldly experience for me as a member of an audience seeing this in theaters. Uh, it's also the first time I ever heard music from Nicholas Bertel, who's become one of my favorite composers. He he does he does Succession, a really remarkable remarkable movie movie writer. You know the 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 my one of my favorite tracks of all time, "The Middle of the World," is in this in this, in this film, and it's just. The, the the strings he wrote for this movie, I, I just hear it, and it just gives me goosebumps every time I hear this music. Um, and obviously, he's so famous now with Succession with the piano themes. But uh, the strings he wrote for this movie are really unbelievable. And then Barry Jenkins, he, he's, he was the closest thing I've seen in directing to Jonathan Demme, where he likes to have his characters look right into the lens. It happens all the time in this movie, and that's something Jonathan Demme, it's a technique he always used in his films. 
And a lot and some filmmakers try it, but not everybody can pull it off. But Barry Jenkins pulls it off really well in this film, uh, especially in the third chapter in the diner. If you look, Andre Brower and the other actor, I can't remember his name, they're looking at us. They're not and he, he Barry Jenkins often cuts to these lens right in the face of the actor, looking right into the lens. And it's when it works, it's so powerful. Uh, to the audience, and it really fucking works in this movie. And it's it's a terrific film. Um, it's haunting, it's heartbreaking, it's powerful, it's funny, it's beautiful, it's meditative, it's reflective, uh, it's passionate. I mean, I, 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 there's not enough words to can describe how incredible of a piece of filmmaking Moonlight is, and I, I do feel confident it will stand the test of time and be remembered as a classic of this era. Semi-biographical film by Barry Jenkins as well, as well in... Mahershala Ali winning mm-hmm. best actor for like twenty supporting minutes, actor. supporting actor for like twenty minutes of screen time. Yeah, so so incredible in this movie. Naomi Harris is incredible in this movie as well. Who she filmed it in like a weekend, I believe. It was like three just days, three days. Yeah, because she was filming Bond. Dinner. <laughs> Money Skyfall, Benny. Skyfall, I believe. Um, yeah, that wraps our top wow. fifty A twenty four movies. That's a lot of movies. That is, it's incredible how many. That's a lot of made good ones because I think they've in total made. Almost like they made 90? like seventy five to ninety movies, something like that. Their their batting records insane because like every movie studio, like the, it's like fifty fifty movies, good or sometimes, bad. Sometimes sometimes lower. Yeah, man. so I mean their their track record is really unparalleled. All right, I'm sure you all love A24 as much as us, and we really appreciate you tuning into this episode on A24. Become a patron today at Patreon.com/slash. Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Take care, everyone. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly, Andrew Hagen. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.